Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Malachi chapter 3, beginning to read at the first verse. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And we move on to chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And now we turn on to the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. And that's on page 1027 of the Church Bibles. Page 1027. And we're reading Zechariah's prophetic song, the song of the father of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 67. John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. And has redeemed his people. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Our loving Father, we pray that the same Holy Spirit who enabled Zechariah to speak your word in this great song of praise might please enable me to proclaim it faithfully and clearly and with conviction and might enable each one of us to hear with faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Uh, Perhaps one of the most famous um, slogans of the Christian faith. I think if you were to ask um, uh, lots of uh, my friends who wouldn't describe themselves as being Christians, uh, even those who would say that they're miles away from being a Christian, um, many of them would still know that Christianity has something to do with salvation, with the idea that Jesus saves. But what does it really mean to say that Jesus saves? That's what I want to think about this morning. What does it mean to say that Jesus saves? You know, as human beings, I think we have a deep and innate sense that we need some kind of rescue. Our imaginations are captured by rescue stories. Uh, think of those um, 12 Thai school children um, stuck in a cave just over a month ago. And I know that I wasn't the only one glued to my screen waiting to find out if they would be rescued. But of course, rescue stories are the stuff of books and films and TV, Uh, whether it's James Bond or Han Solo or the seemingly endless and incomprehensible line of Marvel superheroes. We love stories of rescue and what captures our imagination on the small scale is played out in real life on the global scale and in our individual lives. Think about the global scale. Um, After the Second World War, the United Nations was really set up to to save the world from global conflict. A recent headline in a newspaper declared that only education can save the world. The World Economic Forum met this year to discuss how technology 
could save us from our greatest problems as humanity. What captures our imagination on the small scale is played out on a global scale as we look for those things that will will fix a world that we know is not how it should be. And in our individual lives as well, we find this search for something to keep us safe. We might not put it in these terms, but something to save us, whether it's good health or education, savings, pensions or career. Many of us are simply searching for the thing that will make us secure, the thing that will save us. And in, um, in the busyness of life, in all the different sorts of ways that we are looking for salvation as human beings, our imagination captured by it, our hearts driven by it, what does it mean to say that Jesus saves? Does it mean that Jesus comes to, um, to help us with the religious bits of life? You know, to save us um, spiritually and on a Sunday, uh, to give us a moral compass, to, um, to direct us, to save um, part of us. How does Jesus stack up against these other saviours when it comes to the very gritty and real problems with our world and the very gritty and real problems that we face in our own lives? Well, this morning, we're going to let Zechariah, the elderly father of John the Baptist, be our teacher. We're carrying on with um, Christmas and because it's in the summer, we'll strip away the tinsel. We won't worry about the wrapping or any of the other trappings of Christmas. We'll just look at what Zechariah actually sung as he was driven to speak the words of God by the Holy Spirit and ask what he teaches us. Uh, If you've been with us, you'll, you'll remember that Zechariah was met in the temple by an angel of God who declared to him that he would miraculously, despite his old age and his wife's barrenness, he would have a son, and he was to name the son John. And more than that, this son would be the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi. He would be the one who would come and prepare the way for none other than God coming to man and of course Zechariah did not believe a word of it and so he was struck dumb that day in the temple and for months as the child grew in his wife's womb he couldn't say a word when the child was born he remained dumb and it was only as we saw in the passage last week when he finally obeyed God and said yes I believe call him John that he was enabled to speak and his mouth was opened in a song of praise. And it's that song that we're looking at this morning, a song of praise. And maybe you picked up as it was read that the central theme of the song is salvation, is rescue. Did you notice that words for rescue, for salvation, come up in verse 68, 69, 71, 72, 74, 77, and 78. You know, if repetition is here to show us what matters, then this is a song about salvation. And of course, the striking thing is that given that he's just there with this miraculous child in front of him, just eight days old, The focus of the song is not so much on this child who gets about a third of the song, but on the other miraculous child, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who his son John will prepare the way for. And here here Zechariah teaches us 
through this song of praise what it means that Jesus comes to save, that Jesus saves. So three things he teaches us about Jesus' rescue this morning. The first is that Jesus' rescue comes from God. Jesus' rescue comes from God. Um, Verse 67, uh, have a look down at that with me. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now, just like the Old Testament prophets of old, those great prophets, Isaiah and Malachi, Zechariah speaks filled with the Holy Spirit. These words are not just his own opinion or religious experience, but the words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And like the prophets of old, he speaks in the past tense about things that are about to happen in the future. You see this again and again in the Old Testament. The things that God is about to do are so certain that the prophet speaks in the past tense. And we see that here in this song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because what? He has come and has redeemed his people. Now, what does it mean to say that God has come and redeemed his people? Well, um, redeemed, redemption, is a word from the slave market. Perhaps you know that. So, um, So if Pete down here, if he had found himself sold into slavery for some reason, um, and we felt so inclined, maybe we could club together, see what money we'd brought with us to church this morning, and we could buy Pete out of slavery. We could redeem him. Now, I'll leave it up to you whether you think that's good value. But... Um, But that's what it means to redeem, to purchase someone who is helpless in slavery and buy their freedom. The famous biblical example of redemption is the exodus from Egypt. God's people helpless and in bondage in Egypt. And Exodus 3 and 4 literally says God visited and redeemed them. God acted powerfully in history to take a helpless people in bondage and rescue them out of Egypt. And as Zechariah sings about this baby, not not John the Baptist, but Jesus of Nazareth, he says this one is God powerfully acting to rescue his people. Oh, forget, the, um, forget the cutesy nativity scenes and, um, and the baby born at Christmas being um, you know, um, surrounded by cuddly animals and that sort of stuff. Zechariah praises God because the Lord, God himself, the divine son, the creator, has taken on a human nature and become a man to powerfully rescue us. And John, at the start of his gospel, puts it in quite stark terms. Um, He says, the word became meat. That's my translation. The word became flesh, became a man, meat, like us. God the Son took on a human nature. It's God coming to powerfully rescue us. And so um, so Zechariah goes on and says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This, um, This descendant of the great Old Testament King David is a horn of salvation. And um, 
the footnote puts it in quite dry terms. If you've got the same footnote, I've got horn here symbolizes strength. Great. Quite, I thought that was quite a dry footnote. Try, try picturing with me a bull for a moment. Now, um, I have a friend who's insane enough that he did that bull run in Pamplona. You heard of that? There's a town in Spain where they release a herd of bulls and actual ordinary people try and run away from them through town. And, um, and I don't know, you can tell me afterwards if you're one of those who's... Um, you should probably be you know, classified as clinically insane if you've done Pamplona. But think about a bull just for a moment. It is a powerful animal... And to be honest, if you're running through the streets of a Spanish city, the, the, the horns are the business end of the bull, aren't they? That power is focused in the horns. And do you see what this song of praise is saying? This man, Jesus of Nazareth, this baby born, is the business end of God saving our world. All the power of God come to rescue us. A rescue that comes from God. See, the thing is, the human stories and the human solutions that we look to to rescue us, whether it's politics or education or technology, they disappoint us, don't they? They leave us disillusioned. I don't know what your view is on Brexit. Please don't tell me after the service. But whatever your view is, I guess it's pretty hard to put our confidence in politicians and politics at the moment, living in Britain. Uh, the most educated, some of the most educated people in the world have been tied up in the sexual abuse scandals of the last few years. And for every new life-saving technology comes along, there's also a new weapon of mass destruction and a new dictator to wield them. The rescuers that we look to on the global scale leave us disappointed and disillusioned, don't they? You're old enough to remember 10 years ago when we were going to make poverty history. That was a good cause. It did a lot of good, but did we make poverty history? Well, poverty remains with us. And on a personal scale... When it comes to the individual question of security in our lives, the things we look to, well, they leave us disillusioned and disappointed. Uh, I had a great friend in school, uh, school days, didn't go to my school, called Pete. Uh, and um, it's a tragic story, really. He was the sort of guy who you just... Um, he was a delightful guy, and um, he, was, he was great academically, he was good at sport, he was popular. He was the sort of guy who you would loathe if he wasn't such a nice guy. Um, got a good degree from a Russell Group University and um, uh, started a job at a law firm in London. He was making himself. He had everything that we think will keep us secure. He had money, popularity, success. He was doing well. He was in good health. And then not long after his 26th birthday, he was standing outside a pub in South London and a piece of masonry fell off the roof and hit him, and he died. And all of the things that we look to to keep us secure let us down and leave us disillusioned and disappointed in the face of death and the weight of the real problems that we face in this world. 
And here Zechariah praises God because here comes a rescue and a rescuer who's not a human solution, who's not our best plan to fix the things that are wrong, but comes down from God, a horn of salvation, one who is strong enough to save us from the real problems that we face. And just look with me at the extent of the rescue that this one brings. Because you see, Zechariah goes on to sing that Jesus' Jesus' rescue is not just a small thing, but a rescue that will restore the world. A rescue to restore the whole world. In verses 71 to 75, um, there's a sort of pattern running through the verses. Maybe you noticed it. Um, In 71, salvation from our enemies. Um, Why, in 72 and 73, it's to remember his covenant, the oath he swore to Abraham. Then again, 74, to rescue us from the hand of enemies. Why? to enable us to serve him without fear. And so let's think about that for a moment. Uh, The covenant with Abraham in verses 72 and 73. Um, A covenant is really a, a relationship bound together by a promise. You know, a classic example would be marriage, it was lovely um, marrying a couple from this church uh, in another building but a few months ago. And the couple stand there in front of all their family and friends and they make big promises to one another that bind their relationship together. And you see, back in the Old Testament, I've put the references on the handout, God made promises to a man named Abraham that bound their relationship together. Solemn commitments from God and... Um, well, I, th- I think we'll let them off because they're, not, uh, they're all on holiday at the moment. But I'd hope that if you asked one of our students here, they'd be able to give you the list of the three promises that God made to Abraham. Maybe you can think of them. Um, it was um, that he would have a great people, that they'd live in a great place, and that they would experience God's blessing Uh, It might be that those are familiar promises if you're a Bible reader here. As I say, the references are on the sheet. But but just stop and think about those promises for a minute because those promises are really promises that God would fix everything that is broken and fallen and sinful and wrong with our world. We live in a world scarred by division, hatred and prejudice And God promises to bring together a great people. As the story of the Bible um, carries on, we see that this people is a people from every tribe and tongue and nation united together. We live in a world broken by poverty and hardship and inequality and wounded by natural disaster and pain and suffering. And God promises a great place a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, the Bible story picks this up and and shows us that in its fullness, it points towards a new creation, healed of every pain, with no more sickness or sadness or tears or death anymore. And we live in a world under God's curse, a world where people have rejected God and so God is right to be angry with us. And God promised Abraham a place of blessing, 
a restored relationship with God, no longer distant from him, but blessed by him and called into relationship with him. A renewed world. And so you see, when twice Zechariah sings about salvation from our enemies, rescue from the hand of enemies, he's not just talking about the sort of political enemies of first century Rome, and he certainly doesn't just mean the person who doesn't like you at work or the big bully in the schoolyard. He's talking about everything that is wrong with the world that we live in. He's talking about every evil. At Jesus' rescue, Zechariah says, will be salvation from every evil force, human and spiritual, that stands opposed to God and his people. This is a song of praise that promises that Jesus will remove all evil from our world. He will hold accountable all who do not submit to God and bring down every power that sets itself up against God. See, Jesus' rescue is not just a sort of personal thing. It's not just for the spiritual part of my life. It's, not one, it's, it's certainly not one thing among the many things in my life or my list of priorities. Uh, Jesus doesn't come just to give us a new moral compass. He doesn't come just to beam up the individual to heaven. Jesus' rescue is about fixing a broken and fallen world and taking away all the hurt and pain and suffering and sin. And so it moves Zechariah to praise. Uh, Notice the heart of this promise in verse 74, the second half of it, is to enable us to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, a new world where we are able, where we're free to serve God. That idea, serving God, it's not a cold or servile idea. It's full of warmth and the joy of relationship. I don't know what your experience is, but I think that the best and closest friendships that I've ever had have been when we were united together for some common cause. Maybe you play on a sports team together. You set some ambitious goal that you want to go for. Don't let it be being chased by bulls in Spain. But you set some ambitious goal and you go for it together. And the Bible says that we are called to a relationship with God like that. God rules the world and calls us to partner with him, to rule under him. To serve, to worship him by living in step with him, in a wonderful and personal relationship with him, where we don't hold him at a distance, but we walk together with him in the garden and serve him and worship him and love him. And Zechariah is full of praise because he sees in Jesus one who will fix the world so that we can know God like that. A new world where we can love and know and serve God free from shame and guilt and fear and pain. A world free from suffering and distance from God. It might be that you're here this morning and you feel all too familiar with the idea that Jesus saves. But have we grown too familiar with the idea so that it becomes one of the things in my life 
and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus saves means that everything is pointed towards what he will do to fix everything in our world. It's a huge thing that moved Zechariah to pray and to praise God. And then finally, as he turns to his own son, John the Baptist, notice that Jesus' rescue is focused centrally on one thing, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 76, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. You see, just as Isaiah promised, and just as Malachi promised, John the Baptist is to be the one who will go ahead of the Lord coming to rescue and will tell people, get ready, he's coming. You know, um, when I was in school, uh, Prince Philip came to visit once. And let me tell you, when royalty come to visit your school, you get letters home every week telling you to make sure that your uniform is straight and you're there on the day and things are clean and, and things are made ready and, and it's a big deal. And John the Baptist is to be that guy. He's to be the one sending letters home, saying to people, God is coming, get ready, and telling people what this salvation is all about And it's all about verse 77, it centers on, it begins with verse 77, the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You see, the core business of Jesus' rescue right at its heart is this issue of sin and forgiveness. You see, for all that this rescue is about huge, big-scale promises to fix a broken and fallen world, At heart, it's something very personal. It's about how you and I have treated God and our need to be forgiven. It begins with a recognition that I have not treated God as I should. About 100 years ago, the Times newspaper um, asked the question of its readers, why is the world not as it should be? And the great uh, Christian author, G.K. Chesterton, wrote in and said, Dear sirs, you asked what's wrong with the world. I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. And you see, John the Baptist's job was to tell people, people like us, that our biggest problem, the thing that spoils the world we we live in and breaks our relationship with God, is not some problem out there, to be dealt with with politics or education or technology or wealth or health or prosperity, but in here, in the human heart, because we've pushed God to one side and been happy to live for our own passions and pleasures in his place. Why is it that in verse 79 we live in darkness and the shadow of death Why do we fear God as human beings? Well, it's because I've pushed him to one side and lived for myself. Why do people get hurt? Well, it's because I've pushed God to one side and lived for myself. Why do we live in fear of death and the stalking reality that every life ends? Well, because I've pushed God to one side and lived for myself. And the unbelievable good news that Zechariah sings praise about that John the Baptist was to preach 
is that in verse 78, there is forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. It's a phrase that means that God's heart is moved to compassion by our situation. Jesus comes because the heart of God is moved to compassion with our situation as human beings. How does God react to the fact that we've pushed him to one side in our lives and lived for ourselves? He could stand back and say, well, frankly, it's your own fault. You've made your bed, so lie in it. But he doesn't because he's moved to tender mercy in his heart. And in Jesus, that man that John the Baptist was to prepare the way for, God becomes a man, lives a perfect life, and dies on a cross so that there could be forgiveness of sins to every person who comes to him and says, I need your forgiveness and I want to live with you as my Lord. Jesus comes to guide our feet into the paths of peace, to lead us back to peace with God. And look, um, there are a lot of different ideas about Jesus out there. You know, if you go home and Google search, who is Jesus of Nazareth? You will find quite a startling array of different opinions and theories. And yet here, by the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, speaking the words of God, Zechariah tells us exactly who Jesus was and what he was about. God come powerfully to rescue us, to fix the whole world by bringing forgiveness for the thing that is at the heart of why the world is wrong, our sin. Jesus comes to bring forgiveness, to fix our biggest problem. What does it mean to say Jesus saves? Well, it means everything. It means powerful rescue that people like us, whatever our situation desperately need, because God came and lived and died on a cross and rose again. So as I close, let me ask you this morning, have you come to terms with what it means that Jesus saves? Have you come to terms with Jesus' rescue? It might be that you're here this morning and um, uh, you're just looking in to the Christian faith, trying to work out what it's all about. You know, I remember the first um, time that I ever sat in a Christian church just trying to make head or tail of what Jesus was all about. And I also vividly remember the first time I realised that what he was about is forgiveness of sins that fixes my relationship with God and one day will fix everything in the world. Have you come to terms with the reality of that rescue? If you're still grappling with it, still working out what it's all about, that's fine. But don't leave it there. Don't put Jesus in a box and stop thinking about him. Find out if Zechariah and the Bible writers are right to say that there is nothing more important than this reality that Jesus saves. Please, I urge you, come and talk to me about it afterwards. Talk to Pete, talk to any of us. We would love to talk to you about this more. But look, as I close, I'm aware that 
most people here will be quite familiar with the fact that Jesus saves. That, um, the fact that Jesus came as a rescuer is something that you've known and treasured for a long time. And this morning, I just want to encourage you to remember again what a big thing that really is. You know, forgiveness of sins is not just a sort of a trivial um, thing on the list. You know, sins forgiven, tick, you know, get into heaven free, put it in my pocket and don't think about it. Forgiveness of sins is the beginning of a beautiful new world where we'll be able to serve God in righteousness and holiness for the rest of our lives. A fixed world, a restored and renewed world that only God can bring us. I think if we remember that, we'll be moved to praise with the sort of heartfelt joy of Zechariah in this song. And so let me pray, and then let's praise him together. Our Lord God, we do indeed thank and praise you for an incredible rescue a one that gives us what we could never solve, that fixes the greatest and deepest of our problems, that deals with our greatest need in the Lord Jesus Christ and does so with such power and strength and tender mercy. In his name, amen.